no child You ain't never been blue Till you've had that mood and they go That feeling goes stealing Welcome to Book, the Warmed and Bound Sessions. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press, consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in The Velvet, which is an online community of authors and fans of the trio, Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound is being released into the wild on July 22nd. Among the Warmed and Bound authors is Amanda Gowan, whose stories have appeared in Blackheart Magazine and Thunderdome, and her story The Line Forms on the Right was a June finalist for the Chuck Palahniuk Short Story Anthology. Amanda was nice enough to join us for an interview. Amanda, welcome to Booked. How are you today? I am very good, and I am very nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Rob's just a regular guy, remember? I am. I'm a regular guy. I'm not really afraid of not talking. I'm afraid of a lot of talking, like talking too much rambling going on. We like that. If you do a lot of talking, that means that's less we have to do. So we can just let you go with this for like half an hour if you'd like. (laughs) I I could do it. I could do it. But it would be nice if you would insert questions here and there, and that would uh, (laughs) give me time to breathe and get some drinks of water. Good. We'll try to do that once in a while. Let's start with this one. How about you tell us a little bit about what the world was clocks is about? Uh, the World Was Clocks, it started, it was a story I wrote probably three years ago in its first form. I had been having some really, really strange dreams and was sort of alienated from someone I was very, very close to. And it sort of manifested itself into a twin story and kind of a way to write away a nightmare and also to turn it into something like a lot prettier than it was in my head and you know you, you write something away and then it becomes something hopefully you know beautiful and then you can kind of let go okay so it sounds like those nightmares were kind of the inspiration for the story and everything can you tell us really quickly without uh, spoiling it or revealing too much just basically what the story is or what's it about Twins and colors and trees, and a very important tree. Great. So the Warmed and Bound anthology is kind of a, it's a product mostly of the Velvet and online community that began as a fan site for Will Christopher Bayer, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Can you tell us about your history with the Velvet? I was a very, very late addition to the Velvet. I discovered the Velvet around the same time I discovered the anthology. I met some very, very, very good writers um, in Write Club, and that was how I found out about the Velvet, and a lot of the members overlap. And the anthology came up, and I think I happened to be in the right place at the right time. You you mentioned Right Club, and that sounds a little bit familiar, but uh, it's not something I have a lot of knowledge about. Um, it, you met you met some authors there from the Velvet. Who who did you kind of connect with through Right Club? I don't know if I'm if if Right Club is like Fight Club, like if I'm not supposed to talk about it. Like no one's ever been perfectly <laughs> clear about that. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> is that true? I mean, do you know anything like about Right Club? Like, am I not supposed to? No, I honestly I know nothing about it. So I was asking because I, I'm curious. But if you don't want to talk about it, that's perfectly fine. I, I don't know if I'm if I'm supposed to. I really don't. 
we don't want you to get beat up over this. We really don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't that's want right. it. Yeah. Or not get beat up if it is like Fight Club. I have no idea what the rules are. <sighs> All right. Well, we can talk more about Warmed and Bound in general. How about, um, I don't know how much you've read of Will Christopher Bear or Craig Clevenger, but how do you feel about being published alongside uh, some of the guys that are at the at the top of the marquee for The Velvet? It's very shocking and very, very... I don't think flattering is the right word, but really, really incredible. Like it's, it's almost, it's, it's a little unreal. I think I skipped like five years of really hard work by being able to be like a part of this. Like I feel like I almost cheated getting in to this book. It's going to be a very, very, very good thing. There are some amazing people involved. And llamas. Um, speaking of, I'm sorry, <laughs> said llamas okay. at the end. <laughs> speaking of all the great writers, um, Warmed Abound has 38 stories in it, and only three of them are written by women. Um, what was that like for you? And what do you think about that kind of noir, that kind of noir genre being kind of a boys' club? I think most things sort of remain a boys' club, and I think that with writers in general men are more well respected. I, my favorite authors are all men. And it's just one of those things that it seems to be maybe males are over, not overconfident, but more confident writing in certain genres, whereas maybe, you know, females have not been encouraged into certain areas to write darker things or... Mm, not necessarily darker, but to be involved in darker projects and darker emotions. Because it's still, you know, there's a little bit of the 50s in the world, I think, which is not all bad. But Well, we felt we've been looking for female authors to review. Um, and we've only been doing this for, I don't know, three months now. And, um, yeah, I noticed that we are pretty much 100% male review podcast. So that's something we're hoping to clear up here shortly. So this, right. I think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that um, a lot of times, too, like in schools, we teach mainly male authors, and our token is Jane Austen, and she certainly does not do anything to, <laughs> you know, help the female authorly image. So, But I'm not going to rail about Jane Austen, but I could. <laughs> um. So in general, though, you don't feel that this gender disparity is anything that makes you uncomfortable or anything. It's just kind of the way it is, and and you exist in this kind of situation, and it's okay? There has never been, uh, yeah, there's never been really a difference made between the male and female authors. It's, I've I've never felt that at all. I've never felt like the girl amongst the boys. So, I mean, I mean... From even like the interaction of authors and the talk amongst the authors about different stories and different projects, there has never really been any sexism towards female authors in general. Like it's almost like beyond um, sex. Mm -hmm. It's it's very very much about what you write and what you're comfortable with writing. Great. Well, that's encouraging because um, 
yeah, I guess it could be a, <laughs> a situation where it's not as comfortable, but that's great. And then I was thinking the other possibility could be it's it, the other end of the spectrum, which could be, um, this is going to be really nerdy, but like a Felicia Day situation where um, she's in kind of a realm that's typically male uh, and and a very positive female role uh, and, and is adored for it. So I thought maybe that could be another situation where you might get more attention because you're a female doing a typically male thing, but it sounds like that's not an issue either. No, it really doesn't seem to be an issue at all. It hasn't since, I mean, really I began trying to do things with the things that I've written. There hasn't seemed to be any sort of separation of sex. Like, it it really does feel like it's a quality issue. And maybe, you know, women are not as comfortable joining a site or being involved in groups that are mainly male. But, you know, maybe they should... You know, just do it a little bit. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, your story, The Line Forms on the Right, was a June finalist for Chuck Palahniuk's short story anthology. Um, is that something you plan on making available to those of us that are not premium members at the cult? Um, yes, I love I love that story. I love that story. I want the story back so that I can make it better <laughs> because I think it, it's a very good core story and um, it needs a lot of work and I've learned a lot since I wrote it and yes, it will definitely be something that will be available. I hope to do a lot with it in the next few months and it's about murderers. And bad people that are good people. <laughs> well, the stuff that I read uh, that you linked to on um, your blog, which we'll we'll put up on our website, I liked a lot, and especially Teetotaler, I really loved. I thought that was a really really great story. So, um, in in trying to read everything, I I went to uh, the cult and I tried to, and I realized it was a premium only. I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is a big letdown because um, what I what I've read of you, I've really really enjoyed. Thank you validate that just so you know he's not saying that we were talking last night about um about our interview today and he said hey have you read her other stuff and i said i read the three stories that are up at thunderdome and this this was his exact words he said do yourself a favor and read the rest of it so that's 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 how highly rob thought of your (laughs) i thought pretty highly of your stuff too but rob actually said to do myself a favor and read the rest of your stories that's awesome that's incredible that makes me feel really good this is kind of a a little more random of a question, but on your, on on the bios that I've seen online, um, like for the Warmed and Bound anthology, and also I think on your blog website, um, y- your bios seem to always say that you've always written and always will. Um, did you start writing at a young age? I think I remember. I was. I know I was writing by seven. I think by seven I remember writing fiction. Wow. And I remember being in grade school and friends and I making these little books and our own illustrations and lacing them all together with yarn and we were going to be very, very famous authors someday. And I think I've always done that. But um, until like a couple of years ago, I don't think I ever submitted anything. I, I didn't really, it didn't really occur to me to open the trunk mm-hmm. of all of these things that I was writing and go, maybe people would also like to see these before I'm dead. So maybe I could get better. Who are some of your biggest writing influences? Influences? That's difficult. Um, I, I've found a few new voices lately that I'm really interested in as far as um, from this area, from the Appalachian area. Um, Charles Dud White and Donald Ray Pollock 
as far as influences, I'm very, very interested in Henry Miller, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, of course. And um, Chuck Palahniuk, I think, was probably the first author that I'd read that gave me sort of hope that people were still writing things that were worthwhile. I was very surprised. The first time I read Choke, I was very, very excited because I just didn't think that people were um, writing, you know, consistently good things anymore like in the present tense. And um, then Infinite Jest, and I was very, very influenced by Infinite Jest because it was just an entire world and I was very very excited that people were still writing because I'd given up on present tense writers <laughs> <laughs> um, you just gave us great stuff to talk about because I don't know if you've ever listened to any of our shows but um, I mentioned Vonnegut to the to the extent that Livius makes fun of me so um, I identify with that um, <laughs> and then practicing Buchananist I, I practice you know Ah, see, that's what it says on my Facebook that I, that I, I, mean, I am as <laughs> well. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and then Livius, I think, wants to chime in about uh, another author you just mentioned, uh, Mr. David Foster Wallace. The Pale King. <laughs> I have not made up my mind whether or not to read it yet. I have misgivings and I I want to because I love him and I love his voice but I in a sense it seems like a betrayal and it seems kind of like a spying spying on something that's not done and I know how I feel when something is not where I want it to be and for people to see that and I have not read it and I have not made up my mind I want to really 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 bad but I have not decided whether or not it is um, something that I will do. <laughs> yeah, that that book was our first real split on uh, on a review was the Pale King, and I'm probably not as kind as you just were, but I kind of had the same feeling that I didn't feel it was a finished product and that it really lacked something, and I don't necessarily think it would have hit um, a book the way it did had he have had a chance to finish it. So. Yeah. Well, I liked the 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 bright sides of it, and uh, you know, forgave the the shortcomings because obviously it's unfinished, but I can understand from the perspective of someone who's really enthusiastic about an author. Um, it, it might be a letdown. Um, I, I'd only read brief interviews with hideous men before this. So uh, I'm not a huge Wallace convert, but I, I admire his stuff. I read somewhere that you're quite a zombie fan. Is that true? I love, yes. I love zombies. I love zombies. I love to write zombies. I love to read zombies. I love to watch zombie movies more than all other movies. But I like the fun ones, you know, the, the very fun, the fun ones like Fido. Fido makes me happy all the time. Dead and Breakfast makes me very, very happy. It's one of the genres that doesn't have a lot of uh, packaging already around it. You can basically make up anything that you want. You can go in a supernatural direction and have the things that you write about, you can make up whatever you want. And because of the idea of the zombies are not really the characters, it's they're always the fringe characters. They're always just the setting. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that very much. I like the, the setup of characters in that way. We recently reviewed uh, David James Keaton's short story, Z, B, and B, which is about a zombie bed and breakfast. 
I recommend you read it if you haven't already. But during that conversation, Rob <clears throat> told us this really long story about being in a coffee <laughs> shop and being asked if um, if it was better during the zombie apocalypse to have a sword or a sledgehammer. Which one would you pick? A sledgehammer, no doubt. Oh, like no. What are you going to do with a sword? You have to stab them in the head. <laughs> you can't. Like you don't want to get like that. Cl- you can you can swing a sledgehammer. You would have. I um I actually in that coffee shop my answer was sledgehammer that's what I gave but on the episode that we just recorded uh, both Livius and our guest host Dan uh, chose sword. Right, we went with, with sword? <laughs> we went with sword because the sword's easier to carry around and a sixty pound sledgehammer although the cool factor is definitely behind sledgehammer I just didn't think it was as uh, usable as a sword I might be in the wrong here I don't know the secret zombie fan club handshake so I have <laughs> authority on any of this I'm just saying it's tough to kill a zombie with a sword that takes a lot of precision right even if you had to drag the uh, sledgehammer around if you had to make a special pouch you know and drag it what was this movie's the uh, westerns trinity and he had the thing behind the donkey that pulled him on the do you have any idea what I'm talking about no but keep going this is good <laughs> okay <laughs> And he, he had, like, the cot that the donkey pulled him behind. Like, even if you had to have a rig like that to pull your sledgehammer around, you would have much more chance of surviving the zombie encounter to have, with, through all the trouble of dragging around the sledgehammer than having this very impressive-looking sword that you would have to get very close to the zombie and then try to stab him in the head or chop his head off. There you go, Livius. I hope you feel rebuked. <laughs> I do. I totally do. But listening to her was kind of like reading ZBMB. I think there were like four different movie references in there like yeah. in the last minute and a half. <laughs> That's the sign of a true zombie fan that they can just rattle off references as if, you know, they're common everyday words. The Trinity movies like had absolutely nothing to do with zombies. They're these comic westerns from I think the 70s. I, I just pictured a donkey like pulling a cot with, you know, different zombie fighting things on it and that seemed practical like if you needed a sledgehammer this shotgun is the obvious answer <laughs> yeah that's true i guess we we restricted you to sword or sledgehammer but if you had your choice of any weapon what would it be yeah shotgun absolutely shotgun. yeah yeah always worked best in resident evil i always try yeah, and, I, I always try and think of like the uh the 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 cheap the cheap answer that gets me out of it like well you know a bomb or like a plane or something i can just be away from them but yeah i'm not i'm not practical like that (laughs) all right so (laughs) moving on a little bit uh can you give us an just one if you had to restrict yourself to one author that you'd like to see us review a book of or have on for an interview who would you suggest and it has to be just one Like from the entire world, I don't. I'm. <laughs> well, if we're gonna dead. interview them, if we're gonna interview them, we'd prefer they be alive because the dead ones don't work so well. We've tried. <laughs> I have a Ouija board. Hey, that would be kind of a cool Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. could do that. Authors from beyond. Yeah. Get people to dress up. No, you can't see anything, so it won't work. Um. Authors alive, live authors, live authors. That's a really hard question. <laughs> All right, so uh, switch it up a little bit. Um, who, okay. Who right now are you reading that you're really excited about or recently? 
Wow. I have been reading a lot of different things lately, and most of the things that I have been reading have been from blogs, from writers that I know or have come to know recently. Um, I like to I order from Amazon, and, and I just order until I reach the $25 free shipping level. So <laughs> that's where I get, you know, once I have free shipping, I'm like, oh, okay, I have three books, and I need $6. I'm going to get this purple wig and then it'll be fine and I've reached my $25 and the last two books that I ordered were the last three were Clown Girl, Knock 'em Stiff and by the time we leave here we'll be friends so those are the last three so that's what I'm working on now and various other blog stories and internet stories what are you currently working on? I am trying to work on a novel. It is it's stalled a little bit. I found a voice that I very much liked, a first person voice and it's very difficult for me and it went really well for a while and it's kind of sticking with the plot and remaining true to the voice at the same time because I've kind of created a character that's gotten out of my control. So I have to figure out what to do with her. And it's called the Pink Manatee. So and lots of shorts. Before we start our kind of wrap-up questions, is there anything you'd really like to talk to us about that we maybe haven't mentioned yet? Um, let's see. There, uh, this fall, there will be another short story anthology coming out. Right now, the tentative title is "In Search of a City: Los Angeles in a Thousand Words." And it's almost like um, it's almost like a picture book. Like you take a photograph, and you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and you write a thousand word story about the city of Los Angeles based on this picture. So that's coming out soon. That will be coming out this fall. And Blink Inc. I was recently accepted there, so that will be issue number seven. That will come out, and. I spent a lot of time talking about zombies. <laughs> <laughs> and llamas, apparently. And llamas, yeah. There are these people, we have neighbors, we live way out in the country, and that's where I like to be, is like way out in the country. Like I want the, the lightning bugs, and other people call them fireflies, but they don't live in Appalachia. And... Um, they have llamas and donkeys and horses and chickens and all these things. And I've seen these llamas do things that no person should be exposed to seeing like a llama do. And I was actually <laughs> going totally into like the anecdote region and I didn't know what I was going to I was, I was out in the yard with my son, and we were playing baseball, and the llamas were being very amorous, like, across the road at the same time, and I had all of these mixed feelings about, like, would my son associate baseball with the noises and the things that he was hearing and seeing, <laughs> and if we should go inside or pretend like it wasn't happening, or if we should have, like, a talk, you know, so the llamas <laughs> are sort of, like, a constant, like, bane of my existence, the llamas are the bane of my existence. Apparently, there's nothing good about llamas. My only exposure to llamas, I worked with a young lady who, when she was asked how come her parents weren't helping her pay for college, she very seriously answered, because they decided to buy a llama instead. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, apparently, there's money to be made in llama 
fur or something. So apparently llamas are only trouble for everybody. They are only trouble. They just like to spit. That's it. They spit. <laughs> they spit and they fornicate across the road and, you know, <laughs> my neighbors are responsible for my the son's therapy in the future. <laughs> so. Um, before we let you go, and I hope you don't mind, I have a quote I want to read from your story so people can kind of get a little bit of an idea of what to expect. And um, at this point, I've read probably, I don't know, 15 of the stories in Warmed and Bound, and this is certainly my favorite quote. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and rattle this one off really quick. Awesome. Without Tilly, the world was clocks. They hovered with round faces, and she scurried away from their pointing hands. So I think that's a good uh, measure of what you're going to get with Amanda Gowan's story um, in Warmed and Bound and anything else she does. Do yourself a favor, as Rob said, and <laughs> look into all her stuff. And that segues greatly into what I was going to ask next, which is uh, where can people get a hold of you or find your stories and stuff? The links to the stories are on a WordPress site called Look at Miss Ohio at WordPress.com. And I have links to everything that can be found on the internet or things that will be able to be purchased. Great. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to all of the rambling about the zombies <laughs> and the llamas, which are the main two subjects that I wanted to try and keep <laughs> under control. <laughs> well, we're expecting a story about zombie llamas uh, sometime in the next year. Well, there's a there's a movie Black Sheep if you want to see uh, sheep that are zombies. A little info there for you at the end. <laughs> yeah, Rob, maybe we should have had her on our last episode instead of our uh, pop culture expert that we had on. Yeah, he was useless. We next time we plan this better and we bring Amanda on. <laughs> Just ask me and I'll come over here and be like, "What's dead in breakfast?" And you know, just lay it down. Zombie line dances are a good idea as long as they're <laughs> in context a good thing <laughs> well good luck with all your writing we look forward to reading more of it thank you very much thanks a lot okay and before we wrap this up our correspondent from the Netherlands Malaz Corbier had these thoughts on Amanda Gowan so I've heard you can't get enough of me so here I am again Malaz Corbier today I'm going to talk about Amanda Gowan she is even for Dutch standards quite remarkable I'll tell you a true story about her first She's going to hate me for because she thinks it's not a big deal, but it is to me. Her cousin had to go through the horror of chemotherapy and lost all of her hair. To support her, Amanda cut off her hair as well. I like that just a lot. Amanda is adorable in many, many more ways. Her story is called The World Was Clocks. Her use of colors reminded me somewhat of Virginia Woolf. When I spoke to her the other day, I said something along the lines, That story of yours about colors. I like that plenty. It appeared for just a couple of heartbeats she didn't realize I talked about the story in the anthology maybe. Besides being a beautiful story, it also scared the hell out of me. There's twins after all, and everyone knows twins are only marginally less scary than clowns. There's a little girl too, doing things full of awe. The World was Clocks is one of the many reasons to buy the Velvet Press anthology called Warmth and Bound. It's out on July the 22nd. Go buy it. Cheerio. Okay, and thanks to Book's own Matt Damon, Malaz Corbier, for those nice words about Amanda Gowan. Look forward to more Malaz Minutes in upcoming Warmed and Bound sessions. 
You can find links to all of Amanda's stories on her WordPress site, which is lookatmissohio.wordpress.com. We'll have links to that on our website. You can also find her story, The World Was Clocks in Warmed and Bound, which is releasing in just four days. And we've again expanded the number of ways that you can catch this podcast. You can now get it at Stitcher, iTunes, or our newest edition, the Zune Marketplace. That wraps it up for this episode of Booked. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. Warmed and Bound.